So I'm a father of one. I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Welcome to the Late Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, June 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2022. This day in history, the Gateway Arch officially relocated to Austin, Texas. More on that tonight. Obviously, we're jam-packed. High atop a still buzzing downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I, I heard somewhere, rumor on the street is the NBA draft is tonight. Who cares? Everyone in our world is talking about Arch Manning to Texas, and we'll break that down from pretty much every angle imaginable tonight. Got a lot of things to say about that. It's not going to be the entire show, but we are absolutely going to lead with that, and we got a lot to say about that. Uh, bold predictions are back tonight. Chapter 19, we're also going to do Reasonable Expectations. Both of those series continue into June and maybe even beyond. I've got an interesting little question that one of you asked about how to debate college football. Because I know this is the time of year where you're just trying to get to the season by any means necessary. And so a lot of people find a lot of things to argue about. Debate, argue, you know, whatever phrasing you want to use. And some people are just better at it than others. And then some just use unacceptable tactics. We will discuss that tonight. We've got some good Q&As that we will get to. Uh, they are watching us in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. They're tuned in in Lawrence, Kansas, Aiken, South Carolina, <clears throat> Kirkentilloch, Scotland. Thank you for checking in. I typed it in my iJosh and the, uh, the flag came up, but I needed a pronunciation. We are so close to 100,000 subs on the YouTube channel. You'll notice some changes there on the YouTube channel. It's not called 24-7 Sports anymore, is it? It's called The Late Kick with Josh Pate. I'll explain that when I can. But the fact remains the same. When we get to 100K subs on here, big things coming. What a day around here. There is nothing in our world like a true major breaking news day. And today was one of those days. I know that this show is the beginning of our day. As far as you can see, we've been here for a long time. Our staff has done about a week and a half's worth of work today. So, boy, running on fumes. But that's not what you care about. What you care about is us delivering the best show possible. So, hey, for about the next hour or so, give or take, why don't we do that? Let's start with, obviously, the big news uh, and probably the biggest news of the year. Do we want to call it that? You know what? Let's not delve into hyperbole just yet. Let's just get into the show. Arch Manning commits to the University of Texas today. We've got a bunch of different ways we can go with this. The first question on everyone's mind. I did a bunch of radio today. I did a bunch of TV hits today. The first question is, how big a deal is it, and is the hype justified? So I want you, whether you're a Texas fan or whether you're just a college football fan, because everyone's got an opinion on this, I want you to sit back for a second. Let's talk this through together. And if you're not a Texas fan, and especially if you're anti-Texas, it's okay, because it's just us. You can let your guard down a little bit. Let's just be honest with ourselves. And then once the show's over, you can put the shield back up, and, and you don't have to acknowledge that anything major happened today. But what happened clearly is the biggest recruitment probably in the history of this industry, ended up with Arch Manning verbally committing to Texas. I know some of you have just gotten off work not too long ago, and you didn't get to follow this story throughout the day. And even the casuals amongst us know who Arch Manning is, so I'm not going to waste time on his bio or anything like that. This is the biggest recruitment in the history of our industry. This is Tim Tebow, but next level 
You didn't know the name Tebow until Tim Tebow at Nice High School came on the scene. You've known the name Manning since the moon landing. Archie was playing for Ole Miss when we landed on the moon. He was there like 68 to 70. So that name has been for generations royalty in our sport. And there you go. Arch Manning now, the latest in that Manning family, commits to Texas. So that's what happened. How significant is this? I think it's really significant. And I, I think that there are ways to responsibly talk about this without having to heap unwarranted amounts of praise on the shoulders of a kid who has done nothing at the college level. I would say the same thing about Quinn Ewers. I'm going to say it about Arch Manning here. But to downplay the significance of this is to downplay reality in college football. This is a major recruitment. It's the top overall quarterback in the country committing to a program that desperately needed him. And the biggest pushback I got today was, well, we always say Texas is back. Well, no, we all don't always say Texas is back. You never heard me say it. I guarantee you go back in the annals, and you know how rarely I use that word for obvious reasons. Go back in the annals of this show. You find how many times we did a segment, whether in print or in just real moving mouth speaking terms, where we suggested Texas is back. We don't, we don't really do that that much here. We don't do the U is back every time Miami wins a game against an unranked opponent. We don't do Texas is back every time they win a bowl game. We don't traffic in that. And I'm saying all that to kind of tee it up and put it in the proper context. When I tell you today meant volumes for the University of Texas, you may say, oh, people always say Texas is back. I've never said it. I haven't said it since Sark's been there. I never said it when Tom Herman was there. I didn't say it because it wasn't true. It was always a stupid statement because there was never really any tangible evidence to suggest that Texas was back. But one of these days, when they say Texas is back, Texas really will be back. But it won't happen by accident. It'll happen due in large part to days like today because it takes a foundation. It's a process. You don't just all of a sudden stumble into being back. You build it. And you know what you do? You stack the number one offensive line class, and then you go out and get elite quarterback play. And then not only do you have guys like Xavier Worthy at wide receiver, you go get Isaiah Nayer, guys like him out of the transfer portal. It's a process. And if it's got to be uncomfortable along the way, i.e. Bo Davis on a dark bus driving home from yet another of a string of losses last year, chewing guys up one side and down the other, then maybe that's the way it's got to happen. But one day when they say Texas is back, they really will be back, believe it or not. And when it happens, it will be due in large part to days like today. I look at this recruitment, and I always thought the biggest weapon anyone had was the Mac Jones 2020 season at Alabama. The big trick for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas was to convince Arch Manning that was his doing and not Alabama's doing. And obviously it worked well enough, but when you go back and watch Mac Jones, I've got to imagine if I'm an elite quarterback, if I'm, well, let me rephrase. If I'm an elite and highly rated quarterback coming out of high school, because Mac Jones ended up being elite and being a first round draft pick, but if I'm Arch Manning, if I view myself as generational, if the industry agrees with me, I look in the mirror and think I've got more raw talent than anyone. And that includes Mac Jones. And so if this man can sell me that Mac Jones version 2020 was due in large part to his play calling and his development of the quarterback position more so than the program, i.e. Alabama, that he was at at the time, I'm going to play for him. Because if Mac Jones did that under his tutelage, I can only imagine what I'm going to do. I think this is why programs like LSU were always out of it, or one of the reasons why uh, programs like LSU were always out of it. It wasn't any knock on LSU. I just don't think there was a proven enough track record there. Maybe it's different if Arch Manning comes along in 2028 
and Brian Kelly's, you know, stringing together winning seasons. But it came down to the places with proven production at his position. And I always thought the deeper we got into this thing, boy, if he's buying into Steve Sarkeesian, then that clearly means he's going to buy into the fact that Steve Sarkeesian was the driver behind that offensive machine that was Alabama 2020 and Mac Jones 2020. But there, there was a, an immediate follow-up I got today, and I know a lot of you probably thought the same thing. Maybe you're even saying the same thing to yourself right now. Well, what about Quinn Ewers? I think it's kind of an Xbox mentality, and I, I always shy away from a particular phrase on this program, and it is quarterback controversy. I don't think outside of joking, I've ever really said it. I don't think I've seriously used the, the term or phrase quarterback controversy on this show. The way to win, the way Texas will be back, is for him to keep stacking talent on top of talent on top of talent. And that includes the quarterback position. Some people are going to talk about a quarterback controversy here. There is no controversy. There's no quarterback controversy even or any more than there's a linebacker controversy or a safety controversy. You get as many elite players at every position group as you possibly can, and you put them in a room the same way they did at the University Sark was at before he became the Texas head football coach, and then you let the chips fall where they may. And if one guy can't cut it and he transfers, so be it. That means someone better beat him out. And Arch Manning's not coming on campus this year anyway, but anyone who looks at this and calls it a, a brewing quarterback controversy, I don't think has an ounce of a competitive bone in their body. This is what you do. This is what the best do. Do you think Ryan Day and his staff sit around their war room and say, we'd love to offer this kid, but boy, it may, it may upset C.J. Stroud. Do you think Nick Saban cares about upsetting Bryce Young or Eli Holstein? Do you think they would have hesitated to take either one of them if the other in this cycle was going to get upset about it? Of course they wouldn't. Now, I know this may be unfamiliar territory. If you're 20 years old, for example, and you're following Texas football, you have not experienced Texas football being elite. But I can promise you, if it's ever going to be elite again, it's not because they got one guy like this. It's because they kept getting more and more and more guys like this. And inevitably, some of them will fall by the wayside. That's not a bad thing. Look at the programs out there where elite, good to very good, elite players usually don't transfer, but the good to very good players, where are they transferring? You know, um, Drew Sanders just transferred from Alabama goes to Arkansas. He's going to be a standout player for them this year. Why did he leave? He left because Bama's loaded. Does Alabama look any worse for the wear because Drew Sanders left? No, he left because of how good they are. Players, if you keep recruiting like this, will eventually leave Texas because of how good they are. To quote Diamond Dallas Page in his early WWE run, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And so now we get to look forward a little ways and uh, yeah, you can have fun with talking about what's going to happen when Arch Manning gets on campus. I look at Texas as a program moving forward because there's plenty of time to talk about Arch Manning and everyone knows what they think about Arch Manning. I think he's obviously a very good quarterback. <laughs> you know, I know that's breaking news tonight and a shocking revelation to everyone. He's a very good quarterback. They already do a lot down at Newman where he plays his high school ball that Sark in Texas do. Uh, his high school coach has been on record. In fact, Mike Roach and the guys over at Horns 24-7 today I, they may have done a hundred different pieces of content and articles on this. And among those that I went over there and read today was Arch Manning's high school coach talking about how, yeah, we already kind of do a lot of what Texas does here. So now that he's going to Texas, that's a natural transition. But I think about the perception twofold. Number one, 
Texas needed this thing, man. Everyone else wanted him. Georgia wanted Arch Manning. Bama wanted Arch Manning. Texas needed Arch Manning. And they needed him because of what a lot of folks think about this program. See, a lot of folks look at Bama, proven commodity. Georgia, proven commodity. I'm mentioning those programs because uh, at least allegedly that's who they were up against. Texas being up against for Arch Manning. And Arch Manning chose an unproven commodity. You know how big that is? When you've got options now, do you know how big it is to look over in Tuscaloosa, Alabama at the greatest dynasty led by the greatest coach in the history of this sport and then look further east to Athens, Georgia, a guy cut from that same cloth who just beat that coach in Tuscaloosa. They both want him and he chose Austin, Texas instead. And he chose to be the guy that makes you what they are instead of going and continuing what those programs already are. It's huge. And to be blunt, a lot of folks didn't think Steve Sarkeesian could get that done. They'll never admit that now because it makes them look foolish. But a lot of folks didn't think Steve Sarkeesian could get that done. Now, you follow that up and you can ask yourself, okay, isn't this hype getting a little out of control? There's the secret. See, here's the trick. We're going to talk about this later in the show. What hype? What, have, you, have you heard me make a prediction yet? Have you heard me call for Texas to win the Big 12 in fill-in-the-blank year? Have you heard me talk about their national championship odds? I haven't. You know, because that kind of gets in the irresponsible lane or, or in the lane, at least, that I don't think there's a lot of skill in. The hype is warranted if you're talking about how good the player is, because he is good. The hype is warranted if you're talking about how monumental a day it is for Texas football, because it is. I, again, go back to how impactful it was when Tim Tebow chose Florida. Do you think at the time anyone said, boy, we're making too big a deal of this Tebow cat? Could you find those folks two or three years later when they had a couple of national championships and they had rewritten the record books and redefined offensive football in the SEC in the process? And Tim Tebow, I think, participated in the building of his own statues. He was barely off campus before they were erecting statues of him. You couldn't find anyone in 2009 to criticize the hype around Tebow three or four years earlier. My suspicion is that you won't be able to find many people down the road criticizing the immense hype around Arch Manning. Because he's going to deliver on it. I don't really have much doubt about that. I don't think there's a whole lot of bust potential with him. You can't forecast injury. You can't do that. But the things that are within his control, why have, why have any of us been given any indications that he won't fulfill on that? If you don't think he's quite as good as people say, that's fine. This is a very, very good player, though. And he's going into a tailor-made system for him. He's going to be surrounded by elite players. And the second part of that perception is what it signals to the rest of college football. It signals something about Steve Sarkeesian and his staff that they were able to get this done, but it also sends just this huge bullhorn of a message to the rest of college football that you don't have to wait to see the results before you can view this place as a destination. And it also should be noted, this didn't start the Texas recruiting ball rolling downhill. Cooper Patagna, a big friend of the program. I saw him talking earlier today about how this didn't start today. You know, they finished top five in recruiting this past cycle. They had the number one overall offensive line class. You think that didn't appeal to Arch Manning? You think he didn't do his due diligence? A recruitment as meticulous and thoroughly vetted as this. You think it didn't matter to them who he's playing behind? You think supporting cast didn't matter to him? You think Steve Sarkeesian hiring the right quarterbacks coach didn't matter to him? They were meticulous on Arch Manning's side of things. But Steve Sarkeesian and his staff were equally as meticulous. They put themselves in prime position 
to land this signature, which I ultimately think they will. I know it's a rule in college football. Anytime a major commitment happens, it's just, I don't know where it's written, but it's a rule that 80% of the responses have to include, well, he'll probably just decommit. No, he won't. Arch Manning won't decommit from Texas. Anyone who wants to bet me money on it, I'll bet you money on it. And strangely, everyone goes silent. The only people that want to wager on that end up being crickets. No one actually wants to bet their money on it. Um, he's going to end up enrolling at Texas. So the only question to me is, how good will he be? Uh, how transcendent will he be? I don't really have a whole lot of question also about how many dominoes will fall as a result of this. Texas, I'm not going to tell you they're back. I'm not going to guarantee any record because of this. I'm just telling you the hype around the impact of this cannot be overstated. It's monumental. It is like a, it's, it's, it's a potentially program-altering day, and we're in the middle of June. I don't know how often you say that. Uh, normally, it's like a coach retiring uh, when we use that kind of language, but this was the day Arch Manning chose. And so now, man, it's going to be a really interesting, it's going to be a really interesting arrival for him, because I was trying to think about this earlier today. You guys can help me out. I don't think even people who have followed this recruitment, I don't think people fully realize what's in store for him when he gets to the college level. Now, strangely, his last name has uniquely equipped him to handle this, but it's going to be a tsunami of hype and coverage and spotlight like I don't think we've ever seen a college football player warrant. And I'm talking about Tebow, and I'm talking about Johnny Manziel. Uh, Tua was a phenomenon when he broke out at Alabama. None of them had the last name Manning. None of them had a recruitment that was followed like this. And that even includes Tim Tebow. You've never seen anything like this because there's never been anything like this. And then he commits to one of the biggest brands in American sport, college or pro. That Longhorn logo is a big deal. It resonates. And here's the thing about the folks in Austin. It's not Alabama. It's not Ohio State. There has not been an assembly line of elite talent after elite talent rolling through there. He's the guy, maybe it's Quinn Ewers that does it, and then he continues on that. But all these folks, all these kids playing for Texas right now, every one of them has the chance to be part of the cornerstone that turned everything around. Eventually, Texas will be back. And the players that are a part of the resurgence at the very beginning, they will be legends forever. You could be the third string fullback for all I care. You will never pay for a meal or a drink in the 100-mile radius of Austin, Texas. Again, if you're part of the team and the group that eventually turns it around. Huge day for Texas. Hats off to Sark and his staff uh, because this one, this one was one they had to be relentless on. They were, and it paid off. Kind of like it does any time you walk into an academy sports and outdoors. I think a lot of folks talked about Arch today. I'm not sure any of them made that segue. Segway scooters, ironically, one of the few things I don't think you can get at Academy, but don't quote me on that because you may be able to get them there too. Uh, look, I had like three or four emails that I wanted to show you tonight, but we were so pressed for time today, I couldn't get them in. I have been flooded, dare I say inundated, with testimonials from you guys. Famously, last Sunday, we had one of you that went under the knife. You got the V word, the old snip snip, and I hate that word for that very reason, and you needed support. And you just emailed us and you told us I needed support and I went past my normal sporting goods supplier and I went to Academy Sports and Outdoors and you even sent us pictures of the support that you bought complete with the uh, receipt. Now Academy Sports and Outdoors has not asked me to tell you that they are your one-stop shop post-vasectomy for all of your supporting needs, but they are anyway. 
sporting goods, tents, grills, cups, you know, whatever the case may be, coolers, whatever you need to complete your life, especially if that life's going to take you outdoors. Academy Sports and Outdoors is the place to go. They are our exclusive partner. And you know what? We wouldn't have it any other way. So thank you to them. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast old man winter here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex (laughs) heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived Spring Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Let's talk about some expectations tonight. Uh, this has been a really fun segment. Reasonable expectations. I know a lot of you are new around here because you wanted to see what we were saying about Arch Manning tonight. First thing I want you to know is, We think this is the destination for your college football needs. This show, we do it two nights a week. This time of year, we'll end up going to three nights a week. Uh, This is the place that you want to be. I know I'm a little biased, slightly. It is my name on the logo after all. But subscribe if you haven't already. Subscribe. Check out the show. Give it a try. I think you'll like what you find here. And what we've been doing as of late is we've been talking about some high-profile programs. We haven't been talking about what they are capable of or if disaster strikes, what may result record-wise, what we've been doing is we've been defining, did you see me lurch there? This is the only time I've ever had coffee on the set. That's what kind of day it's been. We're defining reasonable expectations. So Colin, here's your end point. Reasonable expectations, part three, maybe even part four. Let's dive in and let's start with the Clemson Tigers tonight. What's reasonable to expect? I think Clemson's part of that club, that 11-1 club that we talk about. Uh, There are only a few of these. 
But again, the rules are when you stack the kind of talent they have and when you've got the kind of track record they have, it is reasonable for that fan base, especially given the nature of Clemson's schedule every year, to expect 11 wins. Knowing they're capable of undefeated and knowing something like last year could happen. But if 9 and 3 happen or happens, you could be disappointed in that. You should be. Because you're, you're 9 and 3, you know, you, uh, most teams' successes would be your failures now. Clemson's preseason over-under win total is 10 and a half. So this would be an over ever so slightly here. I just ask this. I, I always get people who disagree, but you never give me reasons. So I want to ask, if you think that 11 and 1 is an unreasonable expectation for Clemson, tell me why. You can do it in the comments or the live chat here. I kind of halfway have my eye on it. There's proof I'm watching it, though. Um, you tell me why a Clemson fan should not be aggressive with their expectation level. They've got the top defensive line in the conference. They, unlike last year, have options at quarterback. They're a proven commodity. Like I said, last year was a bad year, and they still ended up winning double-digit games. I think the options at quarterback point cannot be overstated, though. See, last year, when we figured out what they were offensively, and more importantly, when the rest of the conference did, you just kind of had to throw your hands up and say, it is what it is. This year, as early as the Georgia Tech game in week one, if we find out that they're struggling offensively, I know Dabo Swinney said all the right things about DJ. He has an option. And that option had five stars next to his name in his past class, too. Cade Klubnik is there. Now, he may be a true freshman, but he's capable of a lot of things. There were some really good returns from him out of spring ball. Uh, he's a little more advanced. I, I don't think that you would use the term raw to describe Cade Klubnik. You wouldn't say seasoned, but, but I don't think he's raw and just an automatic redshirt candidate going to need a year no matter what. No, there may very well come a time this year especially if there is offensive struggle where Cade Klubnik is that guy. And I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of experience at the quarterback position up and down the ACC, but how much top-end talent is better than the backup option there at Clemson? I don't know. Now, talent doesn't alone do what you need it to do, but they've got options there. And the next thing you also have to talk about, obviously, is the Clemson schedule. They have NC State on the schedule. Yeah, they get them at home, though. They do have to go to Notre Dame. They have a bye before that. And elsewhere, their toughest stretch is at Wake, NC State, at Boston College. And those three games, while they may qualify as the toughest stretch on Clemson's schedule, I mean, we're about to talk about Auburn in a second and Arkansas. You ask those teams how that compares to their tough stretches. Uh, that's, that's not even close to the toughest stretch that some of these teams play. So all those things considered, yes, 11-1, more than reasonable for the Clemson Tigers. Speaking of the Tigers, let's shift down. Let's go through Georgia. Pick which interstate you want to use. Let's go to Lee County, Alabama. Auburn, 7-5 and five is what I'm going to call reasonable. Our buddy Parker, I never let him know. I never give him a heads up. But every now and then he stumbles upon a good point and he puts it out there publicly. So he did that today. It, it, was, that time of, it was that time of month for Parker. I'm going to pause so I can clip that for individual out-of-context use later on. Parker said, random thought, how was Auburn's 2021 real? They were 6-2, and two, then they lost five straight games that they just absolutely gave away. Then a faction of boosters tried to get the coach fired unsuccessfully, and then that coach still signed a top 25 recruiting class. How? Well, I'll tell you how. It's actually a slogan around there, and it sounds a little something like this, because it's Auburn. That's how. If you were to pitch Auburn as a series to Netflix, they would shoot it down before I even finished that tweet because they would say, that's unrealistic. 
We need something that's believable. Oh, it happens. It happens around here all the time. I grew up right next to this program. I am intimately familiar with it. And it's, it's something that you can love it. You know, you have, to, you have to appreciate it at a certain point. Or otherwise, you'll just pull your hair out. You, you just, well, some of us. Some of us don't have that option. But you observe it, and it's almost like at some point you just go, just wake me up when fall gets here. You know, because like Parker said there, after all that, Parson got Tank Bigsby. He didn't transfer. You remember those rumors? Signed a top 25 class. And so now, the over-under being six wins for the Auburn Tigers this year, I'm going to take a little bit above that, as I have most of the time with reasonable expectations, because I always think it's reasonable, especially for major programs who have invested, to expect a little bit more than Vegas does. So I'm going to say seven and five is a reasonable expectation for an Auburn fan this year. Now, here is the, well, here's one of a couple of problems. And by a couple, I probably mean more like half a dozen. There's a saying out there, sometimes I buy into it, sometimes I don't. And that saying is, well, if you have two quarterbacks or more, you really have none. That's not always true. Sometimes you just have a lot of really good options. For instance, Texas A&M's got a couple of them right now. I think they have two quality quarterbacks, maybe three, depending on what Wegman does. I think LSU has more than one capable and quality quarterback right now. At Auburn, though, I don't know that they have that. It's a pretty anonymous quarterback room. In fact, I would say this is a pretty anonymous Auburn team. That doesn't mean anything. Some of Auburn's best teams have been anonymous in the preseason. But Zach Calzada's coming off injury. So I don't think anyone, including the coaching staff, fully knows what to expect from him. Robbie Ashford is the Oregon transfer, transferred out of Oregon for a reason. Um, I don't think that they were necessarily thrilled with what they got from TJ Finley last year. What is Auburn at quarterback? It's an easy question. That's where you always have to start with these teams. But then you extend out beyond that. It's Tank Bigsby, and it's a pretty anonymous team. I think they like where they are at tight end. I think they look at their defensive personnel, and they think, you know, Owen Papo's a really good player. We got some guys with a lot of promise in our defensive secondary. They may be anonymous to the rest of the country, but they can take the ball away. They can get stops when we need to. My question always circles back to, especially if you play in that division, in that conference, when you play Penn State, when you play at, at Georgia, at Ole Miss, Arkansas, A&M, Alabama, the list goes on and on. It's that way every year with this team. What kind of edges do you have in these games? You cannot out-scheme people in this league if you don't have at least comparable personnel. If you can't get yourself in the same ballpark personnel-wise, you have to have edges somewhere. You have to have something that you can leverage to exploit. And with Auburn, you know, when I look at Georgia or I look at them playing Alabama, you can lose those two games and have a respectable season. But then we get another level deep and we talk about Arkansas coming in there at Ole Miss. Penn State early in the year will obviously be the first big test for them. I think seven and five is pretty aggressive. I think I'm being aggressive saying seven wins. Now, I know the expectation level down there is different than that. That's why this segment's called reasonable expectation. Seven and five is the highest I can go here. Uh, Tank Bigsby, if he has a career year, Tank Bigsby could be an all SEC running back, and that only be good enough for seven and five. If you want to sell me on a number higher than that, I'll be happy to listen, but it's got to be something that's based in, in more than just, just smoke and mirrors. You don't smoke and mirrors your way to more than seven wins with the schedule they have to play and adding Penn State and out of conference for good measure. Uh, let's go to the Big 12 here. A lot of changes happening all over the place. That includes Norman, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's over under win totals nine and a half at most books. I think nine and a half is pretty much the number across the board. 
They went 11-2 last year. Now you know about all the transition, out with Lincoln Riley, in with Brent Venables. They get a good tune-up opportunity this year. So they got, uh, who is it, UTEP and Kent State coming in. Now you see the over-under win total there on the screen. So nine and a half. Now most of these, I have gone a little bit over the total to define reasonable expectations. But I actually went a little bit under here. I think it is reasonable for Oklahoma fans to expect nine wins. Hope for more, but the reasonable expectation is nine wins. Because after that opening set of games against UTEP and Kent State, look at the next four. You know, there's no, there's no time, in other words, if you're wobbly in that game at Nebraska, which is not a, a crazy concept with a first-year staff and a first-year head coach in town, if you're wobbly at Nebraska, there's no let-up. Kansas State is a very much a dark horse team in the Big 12 this year. Then they go to TCU the next week. Then they got Texas and Dallas the week after that. There is no even, even semblance of an ability to work on anything or you know, maybe let your guard down until the Kansas game, and that's a month later. And so I picture it going a couple of ways. Either Oklahoma has not dropped off, and the overall talent level in the locker room, along with a more seamless transition than maybe a lot of people expected, leads them to go 3-1 and one or better through that stretch. If that happens, they're off to the races. Because once you get halfway into the season, you're probably not wobbly anymore, unless injury hits you hard. We know what... Oklahoma under Brent Venables is going to be in 2022 by that point. And if they get there, yeah, we can redefine this. I'm looking at that four-game stretch at Nebraska, Kansas State, at TCU, Texas. Oklahoma fans could sell themselves on winning every one of those games. They may be favored in every one of those games. What I'm saying is they are all also losable. There is a path there. So if we're working in the law of percentages, in the world of percentages, I have to look at that and figure, yeah, there may be a stumbling block in there somewhere. And then down the stretch, it's at Iowa State, Baylor, at West Virginia, Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech. These are just, I know they're all winnable. That's the big trick. It's the same thing with USC, ironically. That's where Lincoln Riley went. You look at Southern Cal's schedule. Every one of those games looks winnable. Oklahoma, every one of those games looks winnable. That's the trick in this whole schedule formulation and, and reasonable expectation argument. It, you notice on this show, we do not go up and down the list and go, that's a win, that's a win, there's a loss, that's a win. I just don't think there's skill in that. Guys, there's hardly any skill in that the week of the game. You think I'm about to sit here and tell you what Oklahoma Baylor's going to look like on November 5th? I have no clue what I'm going to look like on November 5th. I certainly don't know what the roster situations are going to be like there, whether we've had starters uh, alternate, whether we've had depth chart upheaval, whether a team's just underperformed, whether weather's going to be a factor. Who in the world knows? Nine and three. I think is reasonable to expect for Oklahoma. And then anything more than that, well, we're probably sitting here in December touting Brent Venables as a coach of the year candidate. Alabama, one of the most high-profile programs in the country, but this will be one of the shortest segments that we do because Alabama's the same number every year. Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, they're all 11-1. 11-1 is the reasonable expectation. That's kind of where you, you set your baseline expectation level every single year. I know Bama fans want to go undefeated. I'm saying 11 and 1 is reasonable. Now, you may think to yourself, ooh, 11 and 1, that, that means he thinks they're going to lose a game. No, I think it's reasonable to suggest they may drop one. Do you understand how good you have to be to have Bama schedule this year and still have this be the reasonable expectation? Their over under win total is 11, by the way. So this is kind of right in line with what odds makers think. Their road schedule is tough and it won't be acknowledged 
because we're talking about Alabama and people kind of in their subconscious, they have a different standard of how they define tough for the good teams. I.e., if you were taking Miami and you made them go to Texas and then home against Arkansas, or no, no, you got to go to all these places at Texas, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at LSU, at Ole Miss. Or have Michigan do that. You know, have, have Oregon do that. Do you understand how big a deal that would be? Just rule of the show. If you know me, if you claim to be a friend of mine, and you are calling me during the show, you are getting deleted out of the eye, Josh. We continue. That road stretch is brutal. It will be overlooked, like I said, because it's Bama. And so people assume they're going to win every game. Uh, you know, they went into College Station as a three-touchdown favorite last year. Does anyone remember? I do. You know where I was during that game. I was not where I should have been. And so even with that, though, Bryce Young is back there. Uh, That's the best quarterback in the country. You'll have a lot of debate about C.J. Stroud. If you gave me C.J. Stroud as a backup option, I would not be upset. I'm just saying one of them won the Heisman last year. You're looking at the one in Crimson here. Uh, He's got a very deep stable of tailbacks. You've got the best pass rush in America. you got, to me, the two best edge rushers in America on the same team. And they've got a very, very veteran, seasoned, talented secondary. There are so many blinking green arrows on Alabama that even with that road schedule, you still find a way to say it's reasonable, 11-1. and I guess that wasn't as short as I thought it would be. Community. Uh, Moving on, let's go to Arkansas. This is the one I struggled with the most. I spent like probably 30 minutes on Arkansas today, kind of because I wanted to, and kind of because it's tough to figure this out. Arkansas has got a brutal schedule, too. They do every year. It's kind of a, I think it's a state law in Arkansas. They have to have one of the five toughest schedules in America. The schedule may be brutal, but I'm not flinching. Nine and three is a reasonable baseline expectation for Arkansas this year, which, as you can see, differs greatly. The preseason over-under win total in Vegas is seven. I'm going to tell you why that is. Because this schedule is, is, it's broken glass. And Arkansas may be barefoot. Who knows? They have a schedule that really harkens back to one of our famous or one of our favorite sayings. I don't know how famous it is. One of our favorite sayings on the show. Uh, One of the big lies in college football is you are what your record says you are. The actual rule is sometimes you are what your schedule dictates you are. And right now, you can just know that they play in the SEC West and know they've got a tough schedule. But then when I tell you they've got Cincinnati for good measure, they go to Brigham Young. They're traveling to Provo, Utah for an out-of-conference game the week after. Here's here's the stretch. They play A&M in Dallas. Then they play Bama at home. Then they go to Mississippi State. Then they go to Provo, Utah. There's no bye week in there. That's back to back to back to back. Madness, Uh, but they're going to do it anyway. Arkansas uh, will have the fastest defense you have seen them have this year. I know they are thrilled. They are lit up with the potential of that defense up there. Uh, We are big Barry Odom guys on this show. Big Barry Odom guys. That's the defensive coordinator for those unfamiliar there at Arkansas. I think that even with that challenge, you have to remember something. Because you can kind of get caught up in looking at strength of schedule. And and we look at it a lot on this show. But what you have to sell your team on, which Sam Pittman won't struggle at all with, is you don't play a schedule on Saturday. You play one team on a Saturday. So when you face off against Ole Miss, you're not playing – LSU and A&M and Bama, it's just Ole Miss on that day. It's just Alabama. I know that's a mouthful, but it's just A&M come September 24th. It's only a game at Auburn, the 29th of October. No more, no less. 
And the fact of the matter is, including the Bama game, since it's in their building, they're going to think they're capable of winning every game. And I, at the very least, think they're capable of competing in every game. So 9-3, and three, I know it differs. It is totally detached from what the Vegas reality says Arkansas is. I think they're that good a team. 9-3 and three this year, I think, is reasonable. Uh, they're watching us in Jacksonville, Alabama. They're watching us in Orange, Texas, and Quincy, Massachusetts tuned in. Still can't believe we had a check-in from Scotland earlier tonight. Okay, bold predictions. Chapter 19 upon us. Let's dive right in. I think we had the boldest segment we've ever had in Chapter 18. Let's see what Chapter 19 has in store. How about this one? We're starting off with a little rivalry game flavor. The earliest bold prediction you'll get on this fine Thursday late kick-filled morning is Florida and Georgia will both be undefeated when they face off in Jacksonville. As you can see, that was sent at 2.54 a.m. So that checks out. It was very early. Georgia and Florida both undefeated. Now, you know this game takes place in the latter portion of the season in Jacksonville every year. Georgia's going to be favored the entire way until this game and in this game. So let's not focus on Georgia so much. Let's focus on Florida. Clearly, that's the big challenge here. New staff, Billy Napier there, a lot of hope at quarterback, uh, which we haven't always been able to say over the last few years with Florida with Anthony Richardson. Utah is the first of several lo potentially losable games here. It's a very unique kind of balance because this is also a situation kind of like we talked about with Oklahoma. I look at the Utah game, I see that one as hanging in the balance. A Florida fan looks at it and says, that's in the swamp, week one, kids from Utah coming down here, we should win that game. Kentucky comes in there week two, that's a losable game. I look at that as hanging in the balance. A lot of uncertainty, especially with Florida. And then you combine that these first two weeks facing two of the most veteran staffs and teams that are the most sure of themselves in America. I look at those games and I think could go either way. Florida fan looks at that and rightfully says, we get the first two games in the swamp. We should be 2-0. Ditto, South Florida, week three. We should be 3-0. And then they look at the trip to Neyland. I say, hey, that's the first time Billy Napier takes that operation out on the road. It's, it's just, it's when you find out about yourself on the road in major conference play, a Florida fan looks and says, have you seen the recent results, us versus Tennessee? I look at it and say, records are really better at predicting the past than the future sometimes. That's going to be a raucous environment, especially if Tennessee won against Pitt. Or you know what? Even if they lost against Pitt, that's the first real big conference game they have. So anyway, my point there, before we ever get to the Georgia game, is whether it's Utah or Kentucky at Tennessee, LSU, there are a number of games on that schedule that are losable. A Florida fan could make an argument to win all of them. I could make the argument Florida wins all of them. Law of percentages. What is the percentage chance that Florida wins all of those games that are going to be really tight point spreads? I would say not great. So I would say the overall boldness of thinking that the cocktail party, which it is and always will be known as around here, is going to feature undefeated teams is an eight and a half. I left a little room. It's not a nine. Yeah, I could see it. It's not likely. Now, there is also this world, and it would be, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. You know, Georgia could lose a game. It has happened before. Uh, they could lose to Oregon. Maybe. Probably not. I don't expect it necessarily. Uh, they could go to South Carolina in week three. Hey, Bama dropped a game as a three-touchdown favorite last year. Why not Georgia? Uh, they could... <sighs> Let's be real. They're not losing to Auburn October 8th, but I guess they could. Point being, crazier things have happened. Post-championship, who in the world knows what their locker room dynamic is. 
Uh, I've got a lot more confidence in Georgia being there undefeated than Florida. I think that's common sense. So the eight and a half is what I put on that one. Next up, this is where we got to be careful. Let me, let me take a sip of the cold coffee here. Colin, if I were you, I'd just leave that in there. Okay. Let's pay close attention to what this says. How bold am I for predicting C.J. Stroud will break Joe Burrow's records for touchdowns and yardage this season? And then he lists all of the weapons around C.J. Stroud. All right, here's the paper pop. So you know, it's, you know it's serious time. Please understand the context. I was in an argument for hours defending my honor on message boards earlier today, which is really what the company hired me to do, arguing about what I didn't say about something. So here is, to be clear, what we are saying here. We're not asking, is C.J. Stroud a good quarterback? He, he, he is very much that. We're not asking if he's going to be a first-round draft pick. He absolutely will be. We're asking if he's going to quite literally rewrite the college football record books. Is he going to have the greatest season of all time? Is that going to happen? That, by default, no matter how good you are, is a 9 on the boldness scale, and it would be a 10 for most people, which shows you how much respect I have for Stroud. Here's what you have to do. We're, we're looking at some of the numbers here. You have to, if you're going to top Joe Burrow, 76.3% completion percentage in 2019, 5,600 passing yards, almost 5,700, 60 touchdowns. Okay, last year, 60 touchdowns is what I have to get to. CJ had 44 last year. That was in three fewer games. So you see, this theoretically could happen. He is a little, about 1,200 yards shy in three fewer games. Uh, the completion percentage is up there, so, so that could happen. The touchdowns, he's 16 shy. My question is, and usually is with teams like Ohio State, they're going to be so much better than a lot of their competition that, yes, there is a world. If I were Ryan Day and I, I made it my mission entering 2022 to break Joe Burrow's records, I may actually be able to do it. If that were my sole focus, I'd just leave C.J. Stroud in there and I would throw the ball up 85 on teams. And yeah, I could do it. Of course, they're not going to do that because that's not their primary goal. Their primary goal is to win. And when necessary, get him out of games to keep him healthy. Their quarterback depth is not nearly what it was last year, last couple of years. So I don't even know that there's going to be a willingness to try. I think they're going to be up on so many teams this year. So early, you may see him play, you know, one or two series into the third quarter and then he's out of there. Well, that's not good for stat accumulation, which is one of many reasons I've always had a problem with the Heisman Trophy being a stat driven award, primarily stat driven. When you got kids that, you know, their stats aren't what you want them to be because they got pulled from games because their teams are so good. Anyway, that's a nine. That's going to be a, a tall task. Not impossible, but a tall task. Next up, this sounds a little like a question we had Sunday, but it's not. There's a subtle difference here. Uh, here's the question, or here's the suggestion. Here's the prediction. The college football playoff will have two new entries to the final four this year. That means two teams that have never made the playoff, kind of like last year with Cincinnati and, and Michigan will make the playoff this year. So I tell Stats and Info, or as you may know him, producer Jesse, Jesse, do we still have that graphic we used to show the teams that could be viable contenders this year, but they mm, haven't cracked the playoff bubble for, for whatever reason? And so he said, yeah, we have that. So the teams we're talking about there that could make the playoff this year, we need two of these teams to make it. Texas A&M, USC, Utah, Wisconsin, Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Florida, Iowa, Pitt, Miami, Penn State, or someone else not in that field. But 
Those are the teams. Notre Dame's already made it. Uh, Oregon and Washington have already made it. Michigan made it last year. So we need two of these teams to make the playoff. I think this is a seven on the boldness scale. Now, I think most of you would make it a little bolder than that. But, you know, last year, I think told us that those, those inevitabilities that everyone told you existed in the college football playoff era, they're not always as inevitable as they seem. What I mean by that is Oklahoma was a preseason number one last year. It was just a lock. Remember that? Remember that word being thrown around? It was a lock. They were going to make the playoff. Nope. Didn't even play for the conference title. Ohio State, how's it going to be anyone but them? Think about how much distance will be between Ohio State and the field. Nope. Didn't even play for the Big Ten title. Has there ever been a bigger playoff lock than Clemson? Nope. Didn't even play for the ACC title. And the cricket showed up in December. My point being, uh, this is possible. And there, there's enough quality and team on this graphic I'm showing you here that, yeah, it could happen. Now, you need two of them. So right off the bat, uh, we're, we're suggesting that we, we can't be having two SEC teams make it <laughs> unless the rest of the country gets locked out. Uh, we probably could stand a good chance to do this if there's an upset in the ACC. Because if anyone not named Clemson or Florida State, Florida State's probably not involved in this this year, but if anyone not named Clemson makes it out of the ACC, well, there's one down. Doesn't matter who it is. Uh, ditto in the Pac-12. If it's not Oregon, it's probably not going to be Washington. So if it's USC, if it's UCLA, if it's Utah, boom. Hey, we got our two. Uh, otherwise, A&M needs to break through. Uh, Florida could break through. Texas could break through. So I don't think it's crazy, but I do think it's pretty bold. I'm going to say that's a seven. Uh, next up, this one's bold. To me, this is the boldest prediction that we got tonight. I cannot find a way for this. Keegan said at least three Big Ten head coaches will get fired at the end of this year. And I, I just can't find it. I mean, if we were to go worst case, if we were to go pure devil's advocate chaos here, yeah, Scott Frost could have a, another disastrous season and he could get the axe at Nebraska. Yeah, I don't think that's hard to envision. I'm not predicting it. I actually think the other, the other path is the one we're going to go down with Nebraska. But yeah, for the sake of argument, okay, I'll give you Scott Frost. We're looking at all the Big Ten head coaches. If you're watching on YouTube right now, who are we looking at? It's not Jeff Brom. They won nine games at Purdue last year, and they could vie for the Big Ten West title this year. It's not Brett Bielema. He just got to Illinois five minutes ago. Pat Fitzgerald's not getting fired at Northwestern. Uh, P.J. Fleck, I, don't, I think there could be a situation where there are three or more names that aren't on this graphic this time next year, but it could be because a guy like Kurt Ferentz just retires at Iowa. It could be that P.J. Fleck gets a new job somewhere. Mel Tucker, Harbaugh, Ryan Day, those guys aren't getting fired. I don't think Mike Loxley runs the risk of getting fired this year at Maryland. Greg Schiano, no. Tom Allen, I don't think so. So if you talk about retirement or, or moving on to a better job, yeah, maybe. But fired? No. This is a 9.5. There are not going to be three head coaches. Well, I'll put it this way. There will not be three Big Ten head coaches or more getting fired for performance-based reasons. Now, if there's a scandal or something breaks out, that's out of my hands. I don't control that. And I don't control on-field either. But I'm just telling you, I don't really see a path where three or more are fired. Uh, last one here. You know, out of all the out-of-conference games in the first month of the college football season, one we haven't talked about a lot is mentioned here. Texas Tiger said, uh, the University of Washington will upset Michigan State. They're going to go 9-3, and three, watching from Pittsburgh, Texas. I put an 8 on this. So we're predicting two things to happen here. Now, let's get to the second one first. 
Michigan State going to Washington. That game opened at Michigan State minus six. That number has dropped to four. So that's not crazy. Washington, if they won that game in Seattle, that would be considered a mild upset point spread wise. So yeah, if we were just predicting that, that's one thing. But predicting Washington to win nine games when I have no clue if they're going to have any kind of functionality offensively up there this year, that's a different story. You want them to make a bowl? You want them to win seven games? I think the preseason win total seven and a half there. All right, you can defense your way to that. But you are not defensing your way to a nine-win season, especially with the nature and kind of the even balance throughout the Pac-12. I won't even say beneath tier one. Everybody feels like they can beat everyone out there. When you struggle to score, everything's a toss-up. Outside of maybe Kent State and Portland State, the rest of the way on this schedule, if you cannot be much better than they were offensively last year, every one of those games could be a struggle. That's why they're plus 1,800 to be the Pac-12 champ. That's why the preseason over-under win total is 7.5. I, I tried to find it. I promise you I did, but this one's an 8. It's really tough for me to see that. I think you would, you would probably, here's the way it would look. Washington would have two or three wins that you look at the box score of and you ask, how did Washington win this game? They got outgained by like 130 yards. Turnover battle. They do have the defense to be able to potentially force those kinds of games, but they're going to have to do it a lot, not just one or two games. All right, let's move on. A couple of really good question. Uh, we call it question and answer. I'm going to try and have you an answer here. These are fun, though. Let me take another sip of coffee here. I'm going to sleep five minutes after the show tonight. Let me tell you what happened today, by the way. Now, now that we're deep in the show and our diehard audience is tuned in, I work out, I'm not telling, I work out somewhere downtown. Half of you are in there every day. I talk to a lot of our viewers in the gym every day. It's close to the office. We're right in the middle of downtown Nashville. It's close to the office. Arch Manning commits to Texas. And so the I, Josh lights up. I've got, I've got management from Fort Lauderdale to Nashville to Stamford, Connecticut, trying to call me up. And I made the grave mistake of picking up the phone in the gym. And so I went from being in the gym doing shoulders to, to this seat right here doing a live hit with Bud Elliott in nine minutes. Pouring sweat on the show, sitting here right here on the desk. I had to walk in and open up, and I kid you not, this exists here, an emergency pack of white t-shirts because I didn't have my white t-shirt with me. So I opened up the white t-shirt, just changed right there, partial nudity in the office. And then we got on air and we did our thing. Well, that was like, what, Colin, 11 or noon? And we've been here ever since. Now, most of you in the United States of America would just call that a regular work day. I don't live a very hard life. So we are not conditioned to work a full eight hours around here. So I got to tell you, it's the toughest day I've had in a long time. And we're trying to motor through it here. So let's motor through it. Uh, I'm kind of halfway joking, except for the gym part. That was real. Appreciate you guys being tuned in, though. Let's talk about this question. Um, this, is, this is one that I almost led the show with if Arch Manning wouldn't have committed. That's how into this I got today. Evan asked, which stadium design, in your opinion, makes for a better game day atmosphere? A typical stadium where the bowl goes 360 degrees all the way around like Michigan or a stadium that's more unique in design like the Horseshoe? Checking in from Lincolnshire, Illinois. I love the uniqueness of college football stadiums. I've kind of told you in the fall when we go on our tour, last year it was the Renaissance Tour, this year, TBD, name coming very soon, especially if it's a venue I've never been to, I get there a minimum of three hours early because we're credentialed and we can get in the building before it's open to the public. I did this at Michigan last year. I did it at Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. 
I get in there, I go set our bags down, and I just walk throughout the entire building. Walk the field, walk the tunnels, go to the locker rooms if you can access them. Some places it's, it's really weirdly designed where you can't access them. And some places like Clemson, they, you know, they, they've got a locker room there, but, but they ride the bus into the stadium. And I just check it out. I've told you several stories about how real home field is in college football, home field edge. But it's not just because of how loud the stadiums are. You got to understand these buildings are so old and the home accommodations have been modernized. So at Georgia or at Michigan or at Auburn or Alabama, if you're the home team, you got the best of the best. But here's what I love so much. I always use Auburn as an example because I've witnessed it firsthand at Auburn. The visitor's locker room, I don't think, has been touched since Pat Dye first toured Auburn's campus. And it's this little narrow corridor. you got to walk single file to the locker room and single file to the stadium. You can't fit the whole team in the locker room. Support staff, training table, a hydration station, they, they spill out onto this corridor. There's not really good lighting down there. Some folks are using their, their iPhone flashlight to see. And this is all happening, by the way in halftime of major college football games, and you're not seeing this because you're watching on TV. My point is, I love that. I wouldn't change that if I could. All these modern designs in these NFL stadiums, that's beautiful. They're immaculate. You watch them on Sunday. That's not college football. People don't love this sport for the bells and whistles. Uh, people, they want to have the creature comforts. Obviously, it's nice to have a chair back. It, it's nice to be able to go into a room where some cool air blows on you early in September, but People love this sport, and the ones who do love this sport, they're willing to deal with maybe lack of accommodation, especially if it lends itself to a unique setting, and especially if it makes your program and your team stand out on the national level a little bit more. But college football is not loved for the bells and whistles. It never has been. It's old. A lot of the stadiums are old. A lot of them are hard to get to. They've got some weird names. They've got some even weirder designs. I love that. I am. I am almost irrationally fascinated to the point where you would think I was an architect. I could barely build a Lego house. I'm just saying I always go into these places and I'm always fascinated because you can see very clearly a place like Penn State's a perfect example. Penn State is not one of those stadiums that has an open end at all. So I guess you would refer to it as a full bowl. But if you look at this place, when, when I've gone to Penn State, which has been once, and when I've seen it on TV, it, it always looks to me like a stadium that was built in about four different decades. You know, it's like erector set. And this one part over here was built in October of 1968. And then this part was built like last year. Some of it looks new. Some of it looks old. But it's all pieced together. And it, sure enough, it does surround you. So I guess you could call it a full bowl. But it doesn't look like, uh, for example, Jerry World does at AT&T Stadium. That's not the way it looks at all. I would not trade it for all the world. Because when you go in there, they're proud of it, first off. Very picturesque. Beautiful campus. Loved Penn State when we went up there. We'll look for any excuse to go back. Uh, but the second part to that is the trade-off that you get for not having the sweater vest bow tie crowd in there is you get that kind of crowd. If you're watching on YouTube, that was shot via this very iJosh that I hold in my hand at the whiteout with Auburn last year. Boy, those people know. College football fans take pride in knowing when they walk into those those oddly shaped venues with weird names, they have a part to play. NFL football is a TV product, and it just happens to have seats in the studio. College football, it comes across great on TV. College football is an in-person experience. You have not fully experienced college football until you experience it in person. You do not need to experience NFL football. 
even though the F stands for football, so it's redundant. You don't need to experience NFL games in person to understand the NFL. If you can get access to the sideline and you can fully appreciate the speed of the game and the size of the athletes, that's different. But as a, as a pure fan experience, it's nothing like college football, nothing like it. So to answer the question, my experience, with exceptions, has been that the half-deck stadiums where you've got open end zones or maybe the three-quarter deck like Ohio State where, where there's a weird or an open portion of an end zone but the rest of it is, is capped in. I guess my anecdotal experience is those are the loudest places, but Alabama's not like that, and it's plenty loud. Michigan's not like that, and it's its own unique design entirely. Like I just said, Penn State's not like that. It's one of the loudest places I've ever been to. So I guess it's just a case-by-case basis, and let's also be real, depends on which opponent is in town. We have the good fortune of being able to just go to the biggest game every week. So when I went to Michigan, they were playing Ohio State. When I went to Ohio State, they were playing Michigan State. When I went to Penn State, they were playing Auburn. So that place is going to be on fire no matter what. Uh, But that's a good gauge because I can experience the best of the best that every stadium has to offer. Uh, The benefit there is they rarely disappoint. So I love the the asymmetrical nature of college stadiums. I love the weird design. I love the fact that some of these places look old and they do show a little wear and tear. I don't care if when we go down the tunnels out of the vision of the TV cameras, if some of the bowels of these buildings haven't been touched since the Eisenhower administration. Because truth be told, some of the best architecture in our nation's history, it was happening around that time. I, I, you know, I look at the stuff that's been built more recently and I say, give me the older stuff. I say that about cars. I say that about stadiums. Who knows what else I say that about. Okay, let's wrap up with one more pressing question here. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Very much appreciate it. Subscribe while you're here, please. And like the video. It's free. Josh, love the name, had a very good question here. And he said, what should be the official rules of college football debates? There are rules that if you break, you lose the argument. I can only come up with one, which is no personal attacks from Warner Robins, Georgia. Well, Josh Simmons, you could only come up with one, but we came up with several more. Now, I'm all for no personal attacks. Should be noted, calling someone a casual is not a personal attack. If they're enrolled at Casual A&F, they're enrolled there for a reason. So if you go to Casual AF, that's just, that's just you. That's your label. I'm Josh. If you're a casual, I'm calling you a casual. That's not a personal attack. But I do have some that I specifically want to mention here. Some of these guys you've heard of before. The guy who tells you no matter what you're arguing about, it's his way and it's not even close. You know, heads or tails, Super Bowl coin toss. Heads, it's not even close. I can't deal with that. Get out of here. Because the, the, the irony is most of the time, if something is a heated debate, it's because at the very least, it's close. Otherwise, the debate wouldn't be heated. Unless you're arguing with an idiot, in which case you need to remove yourself for other reasons. But if you're telling me, so-and-so, it's not close. Blue is the better color. It's not close. It's close. It's cl- 98 is a lot hotter than 97. It's not even close. It's close. It's very close. So get that out of here. Don't want to have blank and it's not close guy. I certainly don't want to be around the guy that compares college football to pro sports that in no shape, form, or fashion resemble college football. Here's what that sounds like. The NFL does this. Major League Baseball and the NBA do it. Why can't college football? Because college football, to be clear, friend, is not Major League Baseball, it is not the NBA, and it is not the NFL. I do not owe that kind of ignorance any further explanation. That does it. One sentence, we move on, and then I hit the mute button on that person. Also, 
We want to avoid people who traffic in three of the big lies of college football. We have recounted them many times on this show. One of the big three lies is you are what your record says you are. No, not all 10 and twos are created equal. A win is a win. Nope. If I beat food 56 to three and you beat food 30 to 29, we're talking about rice, of course, those are not equal. You are going to be punished for beating rice 30 to 29. I will be rightly credited for beating them into a coma because one of us did our job. This is not pro sports. This is college sports. Strength of schedule dictates that sometimes when you've loaded up your roster with four and five star recruits and they've taken your leftovers for five decades, you should do things to them that are illegal in about 27 states. And if you don't, even if you win, it's not equal to other wins. Also, there's the lie that going undefeated is the hardest thing to do in sports. Well, not all sports are equal. College football is not all sports. Going undefeated in college football is not the hardest thing to do. Now, if Arkansas went undefeated this year, that'd be really hard. But Miami of Ohio and Arkansas play a different caliber of opponent. And therefore, if Arkansas goes 10-2 and two, and Miami of Ohio goes 12-0, and 0, then Arkansas has probably accomplished something a lot more incredible than what Miami, Ohio has accomplished. So those are some of the big three lies. We can do an individual segment about those later. Can you articulate the other person's argument? This is always one of the hallmarks of whether you're debating something and someone that is worth your time or not. Just stop, like right in the middle of an argument. If you think you have properly articulated your point of view more than once, once should be enough. But if you have properly articulated your point of view more than once, stop and then have them stop and then ask them, what is the point I'm making? And if they can't properly articulate it, it's because they've heard you, but they have not listened. And if you're not debating someone who's listening, you're not engaging in a debate that's worthwhile. I was doing this today. One of our esteemed viewers said, hey, you better go over to the Michigan board. They're ripping you pretty hard. And so I went over there. And hey, if I would have said the things they were alleging that I said, I would deserve to be ripped. Because there were some pretty stupid quotes being thrown around. The problem was, it was a total mischaracterization, or in some cases, just an outright misrepresentation of what I said. I spent an inordinate amount of time having to correct the record so much so that you've noticed if you watch or listen to the show, I many times before I start a segment will say, here's what I'm not saying. Just get all that out of the way because I know I'm going to have to clip it and use it to defend myself down the road. Can you articulate what the other person said? If you can't, it's a waste of time. Uh, we have to do away with people who do not know how to properly gauge success in college football. What does success look like? Do you understand that there are tiers of success? Here's what this guy sounds like. He will frequently use phrases like, well, who have they played? You know, if the, if the St. Louis Rams, well, I think they moved to LA, didn't they? Yeah. If the LA Rams, Super Bowl champions, if the LA Rams were to descend to college football intact from last year, but they played four FCS opponents to start the year, you would have someone somewhere out there in the college football Twitter sphere who would look at the LA Rams being ranked number one and ask, well, who have they played though? Guys, there's a big difference between the quality of team and the quality of a resume. You can be the greatest team of all time. Your resume could be trash. So you could rightfully ask, mm, do they have a deserving resume? I've asked that about very good G5 teams in the past about the playoff. Notice, when I argued that UCF didn't belong in the playoff in 2017, I never said, 
they're not good enough to win games in the playoff. I never said they couldn't compete. I said their resume was not deserving. But there are some folks out there who cannot detach one from the other. They'll just look anytime you want to credit a team. Like Georgia could beat Oregon by 40 in week one and drop Oregon from the uh, ranks of the undefeated and then also out of the rankings entirely. You may end up getting to week six or week seven. Georgia, because they don't have a win over a ranked opponent at that point. Who have they played? Who's Georgia played? Yeah, like Georgia really needs to prove themselves. Like there's no established track record with that team. Uh, There will also be these kinds of phrases used against coaches. I praise Dave Aranda. Well, how many titles has Dave Aranda won? None. And you just look at them. And they think they've made a point. In reality, you've made yours. Not all good head coaches out there are going to win national championship rings. Do you know why? Should be obvious, but if not, I'll tell you. Again, these, these leagues that we watch and these conferences, this sport we love, it is not fair. It is not evenly balanced. There is not parity. It's an illusion. Parity is a myth in college football. It will never be coast to coast. No matter how many times you rearrange the playoff, no matter how many times you rearrange scholarship limits, some places just care more. Some places have more money. Some places have been around 50 years longer than you have, and they've got a long head start. Some places are just going to always have an edge over you. Uh, That's the case when you compare the Baylors of the world to the Oklahomas of the world, or to the Ohio States of the world, or to the Floridas of the world. That doesn't mean Baylor can't have a really good head coach. And that can't mean that sometimes what's accomplished at Baylor, them winning a conference title last year, despite having the second to worst odds to win the conference in the preseason, isn't a monumental accomplishment. But yet you got some folks out there, the window liquor crowd, if you will, that would look at that and say, what, what has Dave Aranda really won? Well, what's he accomplished, I guess is the better way to phrase it. Also, how much of your argument is based in pure speculation? You know, there are some people out there who would argue that Nick Saban is the devil. Why? Well, he's, just, he's, he's done this and that his whole career. Press them on it. Have them provide you the evidence. Don't, don't have them provide you with a message board link. Don't have them send you to a Reddit thread because that is based in anonymity. Anyone can post anything they want to online. These little digits right here can do a lot of damage. It's okay if you think something and it's based in reality and then you just have some supporting speculative evidence that you want to add on to it. Like it's, it's different if you have the Christmas tree and then you put the ornaments on, then you put the popcorn on. No one has a popcorn tree. You got a Christmas tree with popcorn on it. No one can make a well-founded argument based on speculation. That's not what the foundation can be built out of. And yet sometimes, in fact, a lot of times in college football, when you get into debates and you really have that person walk their argument through to a logical conclusion, keep asking them questions. Give a little trick of debate class. When you know you got them on the ropes, keep asking them questions. You'll find that they'll either resort to whataboutism, which is where they just deflect and genuflect and you know, try and turn it into a ping pong match and just bounce that ball all over the place. Nope. You just never break eye contact. You let them make their point and then you get right back to the topic at hand. Okay, great. Now, what about the question I asked? Can you walk your point through to a logical conclusion? If you can't, you suck at debate or maybe you're good at debate and your point sucks. So those are some of the rules. As you can tell, I have have, um, studied this at one point scholastically, but also I I engage in this a lot. I have a lot of fun with it. And so those are some of the rules of college football debate. This is not exhaustive. I would very much appreciate if you guys chimed in on this. I would uh, actually look forward to reading some of that. So I really appreciate all you guys being tuned in. As I said at the beginning of the show, 
And if you're tuning in later, live, then you may have missed it. Things look different on here right now. The channel is not called 24-7 Sports anymore. It's called Late Kick. I need you to do me a favor. Nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. I need you to do me a favor. If you will, go find the new 24-7 Sports YouTube channel and subscribe. Today is a perfect example of why you should be subscribed to my channel and the 24-7 channel. Because they've got wall-to-wall breaking news coverage. You know, I didn't get Wilt Fong on the show tonight. I didn't get all the dirt and the scoop from our entire recruiting team about Arch Manning. You know, I didn't get a lot of the team site coverage. You get all that over on the 24-7 channel. As for this channel, big things coming. 100K. Kind of teased it. Kind of hinted at it. Got a good idea of where management's going around here. Uh, So there's a lot that is to be determined, to be announced. But when we get to 100K, I think it'll clear a lot of things up. So until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, our tireless crew here, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have yourselves a great start to the weekend. We'll be right back here Sunday night. Until then, take care and God bless. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.